Hello, I'm Felix and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the Internet of Things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about smart plugs. All right, so smart plugs, what are they? Quick recap for anybody who doesn't know, smart plugs are essentially a a device that makes a dumb product into a slightly smarter product. This only applies to really atomic things such as your bedside lamp rather than your dishwasher because unlike your dishwasher, your light at the side of your bed just requires to be turned on or off, whereas your dishwasher probably needs like you to tell it which program to run or what time to start and that kind of thing. Smart plugs connect in lots of different ways, a few examples of which are Wi-Fi, ZigBee, Z-Wave, 433 MHz, and other proprietary stuff, as well as some other non-proprietary items. They tend to connect to home automation or cloud-based apps, but that doesn't mean that that's the only way. They might just be connected to a, like a little remote control that you've got in your house, or you know they might be uh, connected to um, just like a home hub or something along those lines. There's actually quite a lot of bad press around these devices, but from my experience and from what I've read, they're mostly largely sweeping statements that are not necessarily that accurate. It's not necessarily the plug that they're criticizing, it's the wider protocol or the ecosystem they're in. Um, Inevitably, the devil is in the detail. The context here is really key, and so I would say that if you're interested in smart plugs, don't shy away from them just because of a bit of bad press, because it is not that straightforward. Inevitably, though, it's actually quite difficult to work out whether the device you're looking at buying is secure or not, uh, because there's not necessarily a specific article about it, and that is going going to be uh, quite key to understanding that that security assurance piece. A little bit of a, a warning here, I'm not thinking at all in this episode about things like electrical safety, though there are reports about this online. Um, some people claim that uh, there's some that are susceptible to fire. Um, I don't know how true those are, couldn't possibly comment, but um, worth considering, I guess. Don't buy bad ones. All right, so I thought today would be interesting to have a look at some of the hardware involved. I happen to have bought a couple of uh, smart plugs. Uh, One of them is a Z-Wave plug and one of them's a Wi-Fi plug. Um, As a a quick recap for people who don't know about Z-Wave, Z-Wave is a short message um, battery-powered, short-range protocol. It's wireless. Um, it's essentially the opposite of what you need from Wi-Fi, which is your ability to stream your favorite movie in HD. In this case, it's about doing like, I'm turned on, I'm turned off, this is my power usage, really small messages, and potentially for things that are powered by batteries. So you don't want to use much electricity in doing that uh, transmission. So the Wi-Fi plug was completely sealed. I took a a saw to it in the end to be able to open it up and get the the electronics out of it. Um, And as a result, it is completely destroyed. That's quite important from a security perspective because that improves the security stance a little bit because I know that if I have these devices and they're sealed, nobody's tampered with them, or at least nobody that isn't really, really sophisticated has tampered with them. Whereas the Z-Wave case was just screwed together, you know, literally three screws and I was in and, and away we go. That's a bit of a difference there. Interestingly, the Z-Wave plug looked quite uh, hand soldered there was lots of uh, soldering flux some scratches from the iron and like the soldering itself was quite inconsistent suggesting quite strongly that it wasn't uh, put together uh, by a machine it was put together by hand there were some exceptions to this some of the more you know delicate components and that kind of thing, but the vast majority of it seemed to be uh, done by hand whereas the wi-fi plug was uh, completely machine soldered there was no evidence of anything um, imprecise whatsoever there 
Both of the designs had uh, daughter boards, and daughter boards are essentially smaller circuit boards which are connected to the main PCB. Um, the smart bits tended to be on the uh, the daughter boards, uh, whereas the main PCB was about the electrical components itself, so the ability for it to turn on and off the power, that kind of thing. Whereas the smart bits, you know, obviously is about the communication, uh, the the control aspects of it all. Both of these two devices had a chip on them, which is um, indicative of storage. So it's a flash storage chip. Now you get used to recognizing these. Um, the the flash storage is is you know is small, it's cheap, um, and is typically it's an eight pin chip. So that's four on either side, and it's marked with some numbering, which you spot and go, oh yeah, that's highly likely to be flash storage, and you double check it, and away you go. If it is flash storage, they're typically really easy to extract that contents from. Um, that flash storage could then be a firmware um, or configuration data. Um, in this instance, it, it probably is the configuration data, and I'll go into why shortly. The Wi-Fi plug has a Realtek chip in it. It's an RTL 8710, and that particular chip uh, is a family of chips and it has an ARM processor in it which can do up to 125 megahertz, has half a mega ROM, quarter of a mega RAM, and it's also got the ability to extend to flash storage as well, which really explains why we've got these two different areas. Now, I think what's probable is that the ROM that's on the ARM processor itself is going to have the firmware on it and then the flash is highly likely to have the configuration data on it though the flash in this instance was a bit bigger than perhaps is necessary but that's that could be for lots of different reasons and they're fairly cheap in the first place so uh, having anything that's even smaller than this is maybe not necessary my guess is that um, it will be storing things like your configuration data um, like wi-fi keys and that kind of stuff as well as perhaps a log of what was happening in the the past um, there's also other reasons perhaps like wear leveling but that's out of the scope for today this uh, RTL chip also has a UART interface, an SPI interface, and an I2C interface, and these all are susceptible to certain types of attack, which makes it possible to potentially extract firmware or interface with that device somehow by having a, a console access. Someone's been good enough to publish a tool specifically for reading this RTL chip, and it even has the ability to write firmware back to it. Um, it's originally published in 2022 in the middle of the summer, uh, but it's had loads of updates since, including some that were just a couple of weeks ago. So it's inactive development. I suspect the reason for that is because there was no other tool really that was available to do this unless you bought some expensive commercial ones. So looking at the Z-Wave plug as well, that daughter board also has a similar flash chip and it's also on top of that got something which is, is really obvious when you look at it. It's a module that is soldered onto the daughter board. Now, this module is essentially like a little PCB that's been soldered directly onto it flat uh, on there. Um, and the reason for that is, is one of two things. Either um, it's a really easy way to implement uh, the ability for um, having you know, Z-Wave on it or something like that. Um, or it's because the thing you want is proprietary and you're not allowed to know what really happens under the hood. Um, so what happens is you get supplied with a, a Z-Wave module or, or something similar, and then you apply it to your implementation and away you go. Um, in any case, they make it really easy to be able to implement whatever that, uh, that functionality from the module is supposed to be. And that's pretty clear here too. 
I mentioned briefly that there's often a need for these modules to sign an NDA, and that certainly used to be the case with Z-Wave. There's some talk online and some announcements which suggest that that's no longer the case, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if it is still a little bit like, you you know, you have to become a, a corporate member before you gain access to the documentation. They were supposed to be relaxing those details, but my um, my research so far recently has been that I can find data sheets for the modules, but not necessarily for the protocol itself. So Z-Wave and Zigbee both have a bit of a checkered history. Um, Z-Wave has flaws just as much as Zigbee does, and uh, and these are you know fairly similar in many respects. Interestingly though, with Z-Wave, it's possible to run a Z-Wave network where not all the devices have transmission encryption. So that's that's a mixed network. And and this this makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Not only do you have stuff that is transmitting without encryption, which is, you know, on the surface of it, at least a really bad idea, but the ability to do mix and match suggests to me that there may well be some uh, protocol fallback uh, attacks or you know downgrade attacks or something like that, which would then make it potentially possible to take advantage of things that were supposed to be protected and no longer there. Um, uh, that, that makes me feel uncomfortable and it's really common throughout lots of different security areas that this sort of thing occurs um, so something to be cautious of there um there were also uh, quite a lot of implementation errors on the early encrypted versions um and and that was discovered by lots of researchers over loads of different projects um there uh, there was an improvement to this though called s2 or security version 2 um, and that includes out of band key exchange process now in previous episodes we've talked about key exchange and why that's so important and that's important here too and essentially key exchange is the thing that happens when you're pairing that device to the network and you need to make sure you're protecting that really well because that's when all of the secrets that then support future encryption get shared Out-of-band key exchange processes mean that there's something that isn't transmitted over the radio frequency wireless capabilities that then supports good cryptography. Uh, Now, in Z-Wave, that typically means like a PIN number that you need to enter into your app or uh, a QR code that you need to scan with an app before you can complete that key exchange process. And this is the weakest thing that's uh, in place around the Zigbee protocol because there's no equivalent really there. It's possible to implement, but it's it's not as, as well as encouraged as with, uh, with Z-Wave. Still on Z-Wave, in 2022, researchers found quite a few flaws in the Z-Wave modules that are provided up to the 700 series. Now, that's not the latest. The 800 series is the latest, but the 700 series is, is pretty, free, uh, pretty recent and, and still uh, quite quite prevalent out there what this means overall is that proprietary doesn't necessarily mean more security marketing people like to think it does but it's just not true what it means is that the security processes are hidden or obfuscated away and that then actually reduces the level of overall security assurance that can be given because the community hasn't had a chance to look at it there's not been requests for comments in the same way which would then allow someone to go with confidence say okay i understand what the security level of this is as you can tell i'm quite a big uh, proponent for open source technologies but that's you know that's a holy war that we're not going to get into today I did a bit of research on the Wi-Fi plug as well, just to try and make sure that this was as uh, balanced a program as possible. Um, the Wi-Fi plug 
sends passwords over the air without encryption during that pairing process. And now this is also really, really common. And we don't want this either, but it's it's so frequent um, that it's it's um, it's quite unfortunately quite accepted, despite the fact that this is bad practice. Now, if you look online, what you'll find is journalists like to claim that this is a critical flaw, whilst the implementers themselves will minimize this and say, well, actually, it's not that big a problem. And and both sides are right, in a way. Uh, The implementers think it's not that big a deal, because in theory, it's only transmitted over the air without encryption, while you're pairing that device. And so it's it's a one-time thing. Uh, and the journalist thinks it's critical because, oh my goodness, it's it's your Wi-Fi password. How on earth would you allow that to be shared with anybody who happens to be listening at the time? And I kind of agree. Um, and the reason I agree is because there's definitely attacks against these sorts of devices which allow an attacker to encourage a user to repair that device. Say, for instance, you want to have access to that device and you're pretty sure that that Wi-Fi device is actually a smart plug. You could just jam communications to that Wi-Fi plug and therefore encourage the user to reset up that Wi-Fi plug because they think, oh, for goodness sake, it's broken again. I'll just repair it. It'll be fine for a bit longer. That then means if you're prepositioned, you can gain a copy of that Wi-Fi password and therefore be able to take advantage of other devices on that Wi-Fi network, snoop on the Wi-Fi traffic that's being sent over the network, that kind of thing. It's, uh, I don't know, it's social engineering. It's quite targeted, which means I don't think it's critical. But at the same time, I don't think it's as low as the implementers claim it is in terms of that severity scoring. Now, inevitably, with these sorts of discussions, there's a question about why would you bother? And and that's very prevalent here, too. And the reason for that is because on the surface of it, you think, well, it's a Wi-Fi plug or it's a Zigbee plug or it's a Z-Wave plug. Why am I interested in this? It doesn't do anything other than turn their light on at home. And I kind of see the point there. However, it's often the case that the actual plug is not the target. You know, it might be that you're trying to target that household or target a person and therefore privacy about what that person is doing or whether they're at home or not is actually the more important thing. Uh, so having access to the Wi-Fi data or the Z-Wave data is the important thing, not the plug itself. Um, so that kind of puts a different spin on it. Um and if you've got the Wi-Fi key or the Z-Wave key, then suddenly you're able to do other things like snoop on other sensors within that network or uh, access uh, the the network interface to, say, that person's home laptop that's also using the Wi-Fi. So to do that, you'd obviously have to you know, extract from the hardware or do for some key exchange. And, and like I've said, that can be encouraged, but that is quite a targeted level attack. It's not something you're going to do across the internet, and it's not something you're going to be able to do just en masse as you drive past someone's house. Um, you know, that, that means it isn't quite as severe as the, the you know, in quotes, the critical uh, severity items. Um, there's also other things like you can do disruption against devices you can fiddle with people's lights turn them off when they're in the middle of doing something or turn them on when they're asleep and or maybe you could break stuff you know if you keep flashing a light on and off maybe the bulb will blow um so there's there's other stuff you can do and it's it's very dependent on the context of what's plugged into that smart plug I'll need to point out here that I've not really talked about any of the the cloud connected or internet connected parts of this. Um, you know that that's a whole extra attack surface area if there happens to be such a, a service within within your particular ecosystem. Today, I've just talked about the hardware and the RF side of things. So, what do I think? I think smart plugs are useful, and on the most part, 
I think they're actually quite a good thing to have. They're they're very enabling uh, and very useful. And if treated with a level of caution, then I think they're a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Um, I would say that um, you're probably better off having a Z-Wave one or a Zigbee one than a Wi-Fi one, purely based on the fact that that then limits the attacker's ability to do anything else beyond accessing the, the Z-Wave or the Zigbee network. There, there has to be some level of sophistication to be able to break out of a Zigbee network onto a Wi-Fi network. But if you're using a Wi-Fi one, then your key is exposed potentially, and therefore that's not just your, your smart devices that are affected anymore it's everything else as well and that's quite a bit more significant in my eyes thanks for listening today i hope you've enjoyed the show please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app we'd really appreciate it to talk to us about any aspect of this show suggest a future topic or to ask a question about iot security please get in touch via email on helpme at yg.ht or with at gollo underscore hack via twitter